Welcome to episode three of the Silhouette Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Hasty, the editor-in-chief of McMaster's student newspaper. I'm really excited for this podcast because it's something that I have a really big interest in and didn't before I came to school. It's OUA football season. Uh, McMaster's is to kick off the season against the Carlton Ravens at home on August 28th. And uh, to get you prepped for the season, we brought in uh, Marshall Ferguson, the former quarterback of the McMaster program, who won a Vanier in 2011 and went back a couple times after that. Um, but he was a starter in 2014 when they made the Vanier in Montreal. Um, Marsh was the voice of the Marauders last year, uh, with TSN 1150 calling all of the Maroon and Grays games. And then he's now the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, radio play-by-play guy for the same station, while he also hosts a uh, afternoon drive show on TSN 1150 weekdays from 4 to 7. So if you are driving or uh, interested, it's a good show and it's worth listening to. So, um, But Marsh came on our show to talk just about uh, McMaster's shot this season. Uh, he breaks down what to expect with the new coach, Greg Knox, um, tells some stories about the guys that he played with. Um, and it's just an enjoyable, refreshing, honest uh, chat about something that doesn't get a ton of attention and can be hard for people to get info about. Um, so the first 35 minutes are about uh, the McMaster Marauders, their season ahead. And then the back end of that is a, about half an hour of OUA football talk. It just kind of goes all over the place, but um, you can learn a lot. Marsh is an articulate guy, and I appreciated him taking the time. Um, so enjoy, and look for us on stands Thursday, September 8th. That's our first issue, and we're printing weekly uh, throughout the rest of the school year. So enjoy. All right, we're in studio, CFMU. Uh, we're with, at TSN Marsh, Marshall Ferguson. And uh, we're ready to talk about the McMaster Marauders 2016 football campaign. Marsh, how are you doing? The old stomping grounds. Yeah, Marsh, what's your uh, connection to uh, <laughs> the basement? Uh, many connections. The, the biggest one being uh, sports director when I was here back in what feels like 10 years ago, but I think it was like two or three. I've lost track of time. But uh, no, this is, it's funny because I've talked to people who work in broadcasting who came through here, Matt Cause, uh, Greedy Balawali when he was working with the silhouette and whatnot, and they're just like, Oh, I love that place. <laughs> and it's like, nobody knows why we all love it so much, but it's like, it's just such a unique, like, it's literally a, just a, a time bubble down here that never changes. So that's why yeah, it's still funny. Has that a little I, bit. I, yeah, I haven't walked in the basement of the student center in general in probably over a year. And I walk downstairs and I'm like, hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, like, upstairs, there's been some changes, but then down here, it's like, well, no. And so, like, the equipment's great, yeah. but it's got, like, the wood paneling on some of it, so oh, it's a little yeah. a little different, but... It's nice. No, it's good to be back. I, uh, I appreciate you asking me, in a professional manner, to yeah. come down and speak about things that are football. Well, the sill is nothing if not professional, right? So, yes. we print the Speculator. Uh, I think that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty professional product. Um, speaking of... I uh, don't get a good segue there, but... That's okay. That's me either. Um, what's old is new again, because you're here. We're going to talk yeah. about the McMaster... There it is. 2016 football season, <laughs> and um, I think you're a good person to tee this up. You did the TSN 1150 uh, radio broadcast last year, yeah. Um, but now that you're with the Tiger Cats, um, stepped aside in that role, but still obviously following the team. So I think 
there's a lot of places you can start because um, McMaster is a powerhouse program. There's lots of storylines, but uh, I think the obvious one this year is the return of Greg Knox. And it's a return, but a promotion as he's head coach now. Um, now, I know you were the quarterback for a number of years, but what is your connection to Greg Knox? What should McMaster students know about uh, Greg Knox? He is uh, old school. He is stuck in his ways, and that's a good thing because that's exactly, I think, what this team needs right now. He is uh, a guy who played in the Canadian Football League. If you turn on ESPN Classic and you see some stringy, bean little white guy wearing number eight for the Calgary Stampeders, and he's everywhere on the field, that's Greg Knox. That's your head coach now from the Marauders. Like, it's the number of times when I turn on old games and see him flying around the field and doing everything that he has ever preached to anybody in practice, it's like, okay, not only does he know what he's talking about, he's actually been there and done it all. So um, he is reinforcing, I think, discipline. That was the biggest thing I took away from the couple of practices here at Mac I took in throughout training camp. Uh, he is going to be a disciplinarian. He's going to be straightforward. He's a no BS kind of guy. Um, he gets fired up on the sideline. That's the other thing that people need to know. Like, I wouldn't put it past him to get booted from a game this year. Like, he's that fiery on the sideline. And, yeah. and my people might say, oh, he's a psycho. Like, that's what I sound like I'm characterizing. But he's not. He's just a really passionate really really good football coach who knows what he speaks of and has so much experience in and around the game is a great recruiter like the program's in really really good hands with him and I'm hoping that this isn't you know a one year two year three year. I'm hoping this is like a five ten year thing like coach Patasic when he was here because yeah he's he got the ability to grow something here and he also knows how to battle back against the whole picture of the OUA with recruiting and with you know Guelph throwing around mm -hmm. money and Queen's New State all those things that factor into the competition level on the field. So he's a, a really, really good pickup for them. Yeah, and um, Knox comes back, and, and you can read a story that I wrote in June. Um, the coach gave me a bunch of his time, and we talked about kind of the year ahead, why he's doing this, a little bit of his past. Uh, so for all the details about why Knox came back or what he's about um, from his own in his own words – Go ahead and read that. It's still on our website, yeah. um, and it should stand up. It's not. It's kind of time irrelevant, so that's good. Um, but yeah, what jumped out to me about Knox was just he just is a like when you I was speaking to him like a low key measured guy, and I really like it. And you appreciated that. It just he, he seems uh, calculated, which can be thrown away as such a negative thing when yeah uh, we talk in sports. But he really seems like he knows what he's doing, and that probably is reinforced by the fact that he's had incredible success uh, while he's at McMaster. Um, to recap, he was the defensive coordinator for all the Vanya years. And then the years yeah. that he wasn't there... We didn't stop people from running the ball. Yeah, like it's... <laughs> the, the number, the difference is, is pretty crazy. And uh, I th like I don't... You don't want to like blame it all or give one guy all the credit, but it, it's just, I'm putting that out there. That's a reality. Hey, I like Kevin Ivan as much as the next guy, and he did a great job when he was here, but there's a reason why when Knox was at the University of Toronto for a year and decided, hey, I might want to come back, that Coach P was like, uh, Ivan, you're you're really good, but you're not Greg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I just think the numbers speak for themselves, and, and McMaster's defense last year kind of suffered too um and i think that's probably the next step is their defense last year especially we saw it run defense down the stretch uh in that final game against laurier 
really struggled. Why yeah. should we expect different from the defense this year that was young last year? I think, you know, as much as the numbers tell the story, and, and we love both you and I kind of comparing numbers to eye test with everything because that's we know that that's how numbers should be used. And um, when I look at the way that I felt as a player with Greg Knox as my defensive coordinator, it's it goes beyond, oh, you can stop the run. It's like anything that the offense does, we will have an ability to be able to counter that. And I know that that's a great praise for a guy that is kind of hands-off at this point with the defense because it's being handled uh, by, of course, the defensive coordinator. But when you think about the way that he influences an entire roster and the vibe that he gives you as a team, to me as a player, it was the second he came back, I went, yeah, we could probably go to the Vanier. And it's like in 2013, that wasn't even remotely close to front of mind. Yeah. And so that's, I think, the biggest difference that he gives you. In terms of X's and O's, he, he had a saying back when I played uh, with him and practiced against him that he was going to send hellacious amounts of pressure. That's such a good line. Yeah, and he, would, he would drop. And he would literally just like, he'd be walking over to the sideline in game after they'd given up a touchdown. He'd scream for the defense. He'd get on the whiteboard. And then all of a sudden, out of that huddle, I'd hear him scream, we are going to send hellacious amounts of pressure. <laughs> and he was just, like, he's so aggressive with what he does. The, the guys that I used to live with on the football team used to always joke about, you know, they have this auto. It's just their plus one defense. So that basically means if there's six blockers, they're going to send seven blitzers. Yeah. If there's seven blockers, they're going to send eight blitzers. It's just plus one. However many you have, we're going to send one more. And they called it auto. And so all the time, it was the guys on the team would go uh, first and ten. Uh, what would Knox call auto? Uh, if it's second and ten, uh, auto. If it's <laughs> se- second and three, uh, auto. It's like, it's, uh, it didn't matter. It was like third and one. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously we're going auto in short distance. How about uh, first and tw- auto? It, was, it didn't matter. The down, the distance, anything. And a lot of teams, again, his defensive play calling, I think it sent a message more than anything else because it was like McMaster went from being, oh, we're not queens. Oh, we don't have the big bodies of Western. That we did used to be, I think it's hard because of the success, like the championship level success, McMaster was competitive before, but winning the Vanier and going back a couple times really established, like, they're not the also-ran, like yeah. the, hey, this is the guy that, you, this is the team you have to beat in the playoffs every year to get to the Yates or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't, it's not fair to say McMaster had that reputation, but before, they were just in the mix, but never, yeah. so, no one would peg him for probably a Yates um, not through the middle 2000s, and not from what I heard. Even in the early 2000s, right, like 0304 in that kind of block, yeah, they were a great team. They had a lot of really, really good players. Yeah. But it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was built sustainably. Like, you know, they're playing out on the back 10. Yeah, and, that's true. And they got, you know, the old jerseys. They didn't have the same donor funding. They didn't have the same structure. The athletic director, while being fantastic at the time, was not a football person per se. Uh, and so when you think about the way that now it's built, it's like, is Glenn Grunwald a hardcore football guy? No. Does he love football? Yeah. And yeah. does he support it in every way he can? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that it's more sustainable now. So, you know, I, I would argue that they they have had, obviously, sustained success before, not at a national level, more at an OUA level, which yeah. I think is a big differentiator as well. Yeah. But now that I look at the way uh, that the team is built, that the, the structure is in place, and that you have a coach who's been around the league for so long in Knox, I, I don't know how you can look at Mac this year in terms of predicting their outcome and say that it won't be an improvement. Like it's, it became 
by the time I got here in 2010 in my first year to the point where the quarterfinal, just making it to the quarterfinal was great. By, by 2011, when you win a national championship, if you don't win Ontario the next year, it's garbage, especially with Quinlan at quarterback. In 2012, we expected to go back to the Vanier. We did. In 2013, yeah. it was, so we set a standard, right, where if you are not getting to at least an OUA semifinal – you've done something horribly wrong. And I think that everybody on the coaching staff and the players from last year would feel the same about the way last year ended. So now, I, I, if you lose in a quarterfinal without Knox and a game where you feel like you probably should have won with a little bit better game planning, I don't know how they don't get to at least an OUA semi this year. It's, it's going to be yeah. a good year for the league, but I just I see there being some form of improvement. Well, and part of that improvement, I think, is just the defense had some young players. I think the D-line was pretty solid, like they... There was some um, stability there, but like we from 2014 to 15, there the was DBs. a big turnover in, in defensive backs. And uh, you've been there. What is the difference from being a, like a rookie to going into your second year? I've been around for a while and talked to athletes about that. And like I just they and in other sports in volleyball and basketball mostly. But I've never really talked to someone about that difference from first to second year with a yeah. different training camp. And um, so and a full year of training underneath your belt, like getting in the weight room and stuff. Yeah. So what is that? Like, how does the second year growth play in to the defense this year? I think on that, the way that it's kind of worked, and it's funny how these teams characterize themselves, like Queens, they get massive recruiting classes once every five years. And then it almost seems like they don't recruit. Like they get like the odd good guy, but they do it in like a five-year cycle where it's like, oh, nine, we're going to try to, you know, win the Vanier and then everyone leaves. And then they were bad for two, three years. Mac doesn't do that. But in the defensive backfield, McMaster in 2009, I want to say actually, uh, got Stephen Dennis, Joey Capito, Mike Daly. Steve Ventresca came in in 2010 and was a first-year starter immediately over a bunch of third, fourth, fifth-year guys. So they had this complete in-house production of five DBs who played together every game for four or five years. And that was, I mean, you add in the great quarterback in Quinlan, you add in the powerful running game, you add in the great receiver, all that. That's why you have national success. But the whole point of telling you that is just the idea that innately, kind of like Queens, when you get five DBs in and they play together for four years, they all leave at the same time too. Yeah, and so yeah. You, you end up getting all of these young guys in in 2013, 2014, 2015, starting to develop, trying to find their spot. And Robbie Yokum, I thought last year started amazingly well. I, I picking you know, the first yeah, game. Yeah, picking the first game yeah. against U of T. Uh, Adam Poole was good last year as well, filling in at different positions. He was kind of a rotating defensive back, and it got to the point last year where. There were a couple of guys, Aaron Clark and Ben McGarry, who were frustrated that they weren't able to play on offense, so they switched to defense. They became your starting field halfback and starting field corner. And that's not really heard of, even in OUA circles, to have two receivers make the switch and just go, yeah, we're just going to figure out how to play DB on the fly, because they never have before. They were, I mean, Aaron was a quarterback back when he was in high school from Lauren Park. So um, when I look at the defensive backfield now and that growth from first to second year, it's going to happen, especially with Knox there being a guy who played free safety. The fact that Mike Daly is still in and around town, he still comes back, hangs out, loves yeah. being around Knox, yeah. right? Like he plays for the Ticats. There's just a good kind of defensive backfield growth pattern now because they've actually had a year. Um, I would look at Keldon Allstead to have a big year if he wants to do anything. Like he's got to be the leader on defense as the starting free safety as a fourth, fifth year guy. Uh, and that that growth for me personally as a quarterback from first to second year, the biggest thing, the most important thing was spring camp because that was, you know, your training camp with no pressure. It was just 
the odd practice here and there for about two weeks where you kind of figure out who you are and what you've gotten better at and what you need to work on throughout the summer. So they've gone through that spring camp process would have been last April. And now that they're all done that, they get the opportunity to work out, train for the whole summer and come back and just show out in their second year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just knowing how everything goes, understanding the season, um, I'm not sure. How would you characterize the season long or quick? Uh, I always, you know, we used to joke back at the place I trained in Kingston when I was, uh, preparing to come in for my first year because there was the guy that owned the gym, Brett Angel, who was a former NHL player, uh, just a scrapper, just a scrapper. <laughs> uh, but he, he owned the gym. And so he used to say to me, when do you guys get going? I said, ah, kind of the last week of August kind of thing. When I get down there, he goes, uh, so how long is it? I said eight weeks. And then we, you know, a quick little playoff type thing. And he's just like, so you train for 10 months to play for two. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the nature of football. And he's, yeah. like, he's like, man, I want that schedule. I love working out. I hate being sore from playing games and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it, I would characterize it as quick. And as much as everybody looks at the schedule, when you go down through it and you're like, oh, they start against Carlton, that's tough. And then Queens, when you're in the flow of a season and you're a specifically a player and a young player, it's a blur. Like I, I remember every game, every situation that we ever played home away otherwise. But when I look back on it, I'm just like, that it's amazing that you can switch gears from one situation to another. So 2011, when Kyle got suspended, week two, we're playing at home against Western, huge buildup, we get blown out. Yeah. Five days later, I'm the starting quarterback playing at Windsor on the road, and we get a big win against a nationally ranked team. That's that's such a life comes at you fast. Yeah, it moment, was. It, but I, like, yeah. Just strange to have that kind of turnover that quick. So it is a bit of a blur. It is fast, and the young guys will have to adapt quickly. If the, and if they don't, because training camps are shorter than ever now that Carlton's back in the league, and now yeah. that you've bumped some of the scheduling yeah, around to true. make big dates, they got to adapt real quick. And and you move into res too. That's the thing I love that people never factor in when you're talking about university football in Canada. It's like, oh yeah, I know they're good. It's you know everything off the field's taken care of. Well, they were living in res straight across from Ron Joy Stadium throughout training camp. And then it always happens that the move-in date is like a day or the day of the game. Yeah. Oh, it, it, well, it feels that way. Like, I think now it's a little different, but yeah. there will definitely be people moving in. Uh, I would say definitely. Probably people moving in the Sunday when they play yeah. against uh, Carlton. That's this upcoming Sunday, the 28th, yep. I want to say. Yeah. You can listen to the game on Funny 820. <laughs> <laughs> it got bumped. That kind of sucks. Like our first game well, of the year. It, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. why are the Cats playing a Sunday night game in Calgary? Yeah. I don't Everybody's wanna... been waiting, uh, waiting all day for Sunday night, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take a Sunday night red eye out of Calgary. And, and I honestly, selfishly, I wanted to be able to see them play Carlton because Carlton looks like a really good team this year, yeah. too. So that, Park that and we'll come back to just yeah, looking around the league. Frustrating to me. But I want to talk about now, um, I think the offense is kind of the apple of everyone's eyes. It's a bell of the yeah. ball because last year was um, just record-breaking um, with Asher Hastings and like such a deep receiver group and a solid run game. Like, But this year, there's a little bit of change. Declan Cross was an important cog in that as a blocker. And um, I know you've spoken highly of him uh, in other conversations, he's with the Argos now. Yeah. Um, but what, uh, what about the offense excites you? Uh, I, from seeing Asher play in this training camp, I think the biggest thing that I've taken away is, and again, it's you know cliche. Oh, he's a he's an older player and he's a leader, right? Yeah. Like we want to build our team around a guy like that. That's but that's why you recruit people like Asher Hastings. That's why you try so hard to get a guy out of Regina like that because. 
when you see the things he does in practice, like he misses a throw the other day at wide to Matt Pacheco and basically sprints over to him and walks the route for him and tells him where he meant to put the ball and why and things like that. I think that's what excites me is because when you have somebody who's willing to have those conversations, that completely changes the dynamic of your offense. And you could have five first-year starting receivers. As long as you have a quarterback like that, it doesn't matter because they'll figure it out faster than anybody else in the league. But um, And everybody's different too. Like when Kyle Quinlan was here, he didn't talk to his receivers. And when he did, he just kind of, you know, brushed it off or would have a laugh with them or he'd say, ah, whatever, we'll get it next time. Or, you know, he would turn the ball over three times in a row, wouldn't talk to anybody about trying to fix it, and then come out and make the best play you've ever seen. So he had the talent to be able to do that. Asher has the arm to be able to make every single throw on the field. So he's very uh, refined in his decision-making, I think, at this point in his career. And, you know, he's been to three CFL training camps now, too, which as much as the CIS-CFL internship for quarterbacks is hit and miss at times, he was in with Saskatchewan when he was a child. Yeah. As he grew up in Regina. So he, he just got taken in out there when he played for the Regina Thunder in junior football. He went with the Argos last summer, and then this year he ended up with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, so there you're working with Ricky Ray last year and Henry Burris this year. Yeah. And you're working with Scott Milanovic and Rick Campbell. And, all, like it's, That's, and, like, those are two of the better ones to get, like, if you're not a CFL head. Like, just, you want to talk about, like, institutions in the CFL yeah. at quarterback. And, like, you're kind of looking at both of them. If you look right at the there. all-time CFL passing yardage, they're both top five. Yeah. So, I mean, who else would you rather learn from? And, of course, you know. Probably just Calvillo. Yeah. Like, if he wants to just do another one. And and if you go to Montreal, you're not learning from Calvillo because Jim Pop (laughs) brings in 40 quarterbacks for every training camp. But, no, Asher excites me because of his decision-making at this point. Um you know, my issue when I played quarterback here at Mac, I was a robot. Like you could, you could program me and then just push me out the door and I would do exactly what you had told me to do in practice. I didn't have the ability to make up things on the fly. That's what made Kyle very special. Mm-hmm. And Asher has more of it than I did, but less than Kyle, where, yeah. he, where he can kind of freewheel and he can make plays with his feet and, and be exciting with being able to make every, every throw on the field. So, uh, he is the, the bell cow. Like you say, he's going to be the one that drives this offense. Uh, we always say in the CFL, Canadian football in general, it's quarterback driven. And the only thing that can really put a damper on a quarterback driven team is an offensive line that can't block. And they're, they're relatively young, despite having Zach Instance back from Winnipeg after training camp this year, they've had a couple of guys decide they don't want to come back. They've had a couple of guys leave after the first couple of days of camp. And so now they have to start, you know, finding ways to be able to protect Asher in a way that will allow them to get the ball out. And the thing is too, with a big arm like Asher's, it should be a big play offense, but as soon as you start talking about big arm, big play offense, big shots down the field, you need time to do that. Like yeah. that, those aren't things that happen quickly. Yeah. Like I, I always threw the ball underneath. I was throwing slants and quicks and all that stuff because I love doing that and I was accurate. But I needed maybe a second and a half to get the ball out. Asher needs like three seconds. Yeah. To be able to get it out yeah. cleanly because he is loading that thing up because he can rip it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, I think it was the Ottawa game maybe at 56 or something like that in that neighborhood just but he was just bombing it like he like <laughs> yeah. and it was kind of that was the sign where you're like whoa this is this is a different offense now because um the way you played was so different from him yeah but part of the reason he can bomb it out there and this there is a big play um opportunity is because there is such a good receiver group and some of those guys you played with yeah um with Vanderwart, peterman um and a few others so 
What do you think the receiver group, what should you expect? Is it going to be business as usual? It's crazy how, like, if McMaster can do one thing really, really well, it's recruit receivers. Like, I don't, I don't know how we got the guys that we did. I promise we weren't breaking any rules. We're not, <laughs> we're not the riders. But uh, when I look at the way that we've been able to recruit guys year after year, it's amazing. Like, when I look at the way that the lineup is shaking down right now, Josh Vanderweerd is the perfect Canadian football receiver. He's just so consistent. He's such a good route runner. He's been healthy the majority of his career because he takes care of his body so well. The guy is an absolute stud when it comes to taking care of himself. I've never seen somebody care that much. Him and Declan Cross were lived together. We're incredibly close. Declan was the same way. And hey, look, Declan's in the CFL, right? Yeah. So there's a reason that those guys end up making it. But he, I think he's so consistent. I think he's going to have you know, not the not the most touchdowns, not the, uh, the most yards per catch. He's not going to lead the team in any categories, but he is the rock that holds together that receiving core because typically in this offense even though it has changed from when I was here uh, to where we're at now uh, with Asher at the quarterback position it's still that that boundary slot back is the heart of the offense it's you get a lot of touches and even if you're not getting touches a lot of the offense has worked through you now mm. they've, they've worked to become more multiple with their motions and being able to motion you know the wide receivers down inside get them involved in the play that's something we started doing when Ben O'Connor was here because we realized hey, Ben's kind of good and we don't use him enough. So, um, but yeah, so Josh is the, he's the heart of it at that boundary slot back position. Max Cameron has on again, off again, struggled with injuries, but the guy looks like he's a pencil. He benches 225 like 10 times. Like, yeah. So he's, and not that bench is the overbearing you know thing that qualifies a receiver. It really doesn't yeah. matter, but it's more about the fact that he's put the work in to try and stay healthy. And when he gets remotely close to a ball his catch radius is crazy yeah like he, yeah. Can, he can launch out of a cannon and go get it from anywhere and he's one of those guys that we used to call him piano back because against windsor and homecoming in 2012 uh he ran these two little post corners where he was isolated because mike decroce was out with a shoulder injury that year and when he ran those routes uh he would catch the ball nasty routes great speed get out of his break catch it turn up field and then just look like somebody put a grand, you know, piano on his back and he just couldn't move. And it wasn't even injured. He was just slow and looked <laughs> bad. But it was like a completely different guy with the ball in his hands versus not. So he, yeah. I think he's worked to get over that piano back syndrome where now in the open field, he's a real dangerous threat. His yeah. hands are probably the best on the team. Dan Vandervoort is... Which is saying a lot. Yeah, yeah Dan Vandervoort's going to be a top 10 pick in the CFL next year. There's no question. If Brian Jones from Acadia or from... Uh, yeah, from Acadia yeah. gets taken sixth overall, fourth overall this year by the Argonauts. There's no way that Dan Vandervoort isn't going to go as high, if not higher than that, because he's, yeah. he's a testing freak and he's produced on the field. And I think Vandervoort, speaking of producing the field, yeah. I think he broke recep the touchdown Touchdowns in the career record. for McMaster. Yeah, and what year is yeah. he in? Uh, Third or fourth? I, year? I don't know. I've lost track because yeah, it, it feels like he's been here 10 years. Yeah, but I don't know. If you're breaking career records in not your fifth year. I think he had eight in his first year yeah. when I was with him. Yeah. And the record was like uh, 18 or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, but I just remember Matt Parasini, we, we force fed Matt Parasini the ball in 2011 to try to get him that record. And then I believe he tied Von Swart uh, for that record. And, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Vaughn was a, a guy from the early 2000s. It was like Ryan Jansen, who now works in the CFL, yeah. uh, he had that record for a bit, and then Vaughn Swart took it from him, and then we fed Parasini relentlessly, just a hellacious amounts <laughs> of feeding the ball to Matt Parasini to try and get him that record. It was like almost inappropriate what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. in, in like back end of games, like spots on the field where it just, you know, the defense didn't line up, and we're just like, 
<sighs> let's just get it to Matt. Let's try to get him this end zone. So, uh, but it was funny because we did that for Matt, and then it got to a point with Danny, like two years after Matt leaves, Danny has eight touchdown catches in his first year, and we're all like, well, I guess that was pointless trying to yeah. feed Matt the ball because this <laughs> record is going to crumble yeah. in like two years. And, and again, you knock on wood for a guy like that that puts up statistics like he does because you want to see him actually accomplish it. You hate to see, you know, the great running back, Andre Dupree or something who, you know, collapses to the field or Bo Jackson who has his hip pop out and we don't get to watch that greatness. Yeah. And thankfully, so far for Danny Vanderbilt, it's he's stayed healthy and he's been a real good player for them. So he's, I don't know how he won't break most records in the book. And the thing is, too, when Asher got recruited here, I wasn't the perfect quarterback for Danny. Like, he's, he was such a deep threat. He required yeah. just that massive arm. As soon as we got Asher... And I realized the, the succession plan to me and what it was. I just went, yeah, he's going to break a lot of records because <laughs> Asher can throw the ball really far and Danny can run faster than everybody on the field. Yeah. Um, but moving on to another skill position, at running back, um, we'll touch on this a bit more It's, it's uh, later, but what is going on there? It's kind of hard to tell because really we just see the practices and then that's hard to tell yeah. within the practices of what who's starting, who's doing what. I feel like I'm doing old, old man now when I watch practice and I'm like, I don't know who anybody is without their helmets on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because guys switch numbers or whatever. We, yeah. we were at practice the other week. It, it was tough. Um, but what do you? what's probably going to happen with running back? Uh, Chris Pizzetta is back. I can't believe I'm saying that. What a story. But Three ACLs. Yeah. Like, like, how do you find that much extra ligament just kicking around to be like, hey, let's... Yeah, so this amazing. thing up again. It's it, it's crazy to me what he's gone through and the fact that he continues. Like it, I'll be honest with you, if I had one ACL and came back and had a second, I probably would go into coaching, yeah. like really quick. I'd be like, well, this wasn't meant to be. Yeah, Pez doesn't have that mindset. He doesn't have an inch of that feeling in his body. He just refuses to die basically yeah. on the football field. And so I've heard of two ACLs, but I. I've never heard I've never of three. three either. In like all, I'm just saying yeah. all his sports. Yeah. I know Jamal right. Charles had his second ACL. Rob Bag had two. Rob Bag had two, and he yeah. just. T- I think Coach Patatsik might have had three actually. No, that'd be a, that'd be amazing. I think I think he did have three. That I think about it because he did one in uh, 1991 uh, when he was playing for Laurier as a receiver. That was the year they yeah. won the Vanier Cup. I don't think he played that year because of his ACL. And then he had one as a player for either the Argonauts or the Lions, and then he randomly did it again like two years ago. I don't know if oh, it, wow. I, don't, I don't know if it was the same knee, but he he had his ACL surgery, and then I would talk to offensive coordinator John B. He'd just be like, "How's P doing?" And he'd be like, "He refuses to sit down. He refuses to let us open the door for him. Like he's jogging to go grab lunch and stuff. Like three weeks post op, oh, it man. was it was crazy what he was doing. And you look at him now." And the guy is the fittest person around. He still yeah. trains like he's 18 years old. So yeah. um, he is probably the only person I can think of that would have had three. He definitely had three. Though. Yeah. And I'm, sh- I'm sure we're missing someone. I'm sorry that my ACL injury knowledge isn't where <laughs> it needs to be. We have Dr. James Andrews on speed dial. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who have you operated on three times? And he'd probably call back and be like, uh, there was one guy in the 80s who <laughs> yeah. has really unfortunate string of, of luck. Yeah, um, <laughs> not likely, but, but yeah. So, so Pez is back. Pez um, is back. Yeah, and the the big one to me that I want to see development in this year uh, is Lions. Like Jordan Lions is he's a local guy. He and, ran well last year, and he was used in a way like he had a, a kick return touchdown against Waterloo last year, and they were using him in spots where he would motion out and become a slot back. And he is in this offense. You know, your wide receivers are 
true wide receivers. Your slot backs are big body Danny Vandervoort and little body Josh Vanderweer, quick underneath routes, all of that. It's kind of a perfect melding. The fifth receiver position, the inside of their three side, that three pack, it is it's a strange mixture of skills that are required. We call it our M because it's literally just like your mixed back who plays in the middle of the field. Um, so the M back, I mean, it's been Jordan Kazina was an, a national rugby player who could run downhill between the tackles but could also stiff arm you at any point in the open field and catch the ball better than anybody because he was just, it's a weird, you have to be able to do absolutely everything. Yeah. Pizzetta, when he came in in first year, they thought he was going to be an M. Like, they didn't think of him as a running back. They thought, you're a great mixture, and he seemed a lot like Kazina. Um, so when they tried to be able to build that into the roster with, with Pez and they realized, oh, his hands might not be where we need him to, they've kind of taken that evolution and giving it to Jordan Lyons now, where catch the ball to the backfield, but also be so flexible that you can use him in the red zone. Because guy in the Canadian Football League and again CIS here, the ability to have a running back who is equal threat pass catcher and in between the tackles runner is deadly in yeah. the red zone. And I think Jordan Lyons gives them that. So I'd see uh, an increased workload for him this year in terms of the power running game. A lot of that again, it comes down to the offensive line. Wayne Morgan clearly hurts, but don't sleep on Kingsley Amanqua. Like he, there were points in 2000 and I want to say 12 uh, when I would get into games. That was actually the OUA semifinal at home against Western in 2012, uh, when you know the offense for us just exploded like usual and beat up on Western at home, something we took for granted at the time. And uh, and Kingsley went into the game with me, and they're just trying to burn clock. Plus, they had a crappy quarterback in, in, in Ferguson, so they decided <laughs> to just run the ball as much as they possibly could. So I was handing off to Kingsley and booting away and turning around, and I saw some stuff in that playoff game from him that I I haven't seen from a lot of people. Even Wayne, like Wayne Moore, did amazing things, but Kingsley has the ability when he's locked in and focused and knows the play call and is excited about playing to be able to run through or around just about anybody in this league. So to me, those are my big three ones when you look at it. Pizzetta's back with the ACLs. Jordan Lyons should have an increased workload in his second year. And Kingsley Manqua might fill that void that's left by Wayne Moore. Is it, uh, and I don't know how it goes around the OUA, um, is it running back by committee? I know those are yeah. vaunted words in fantasy uh, football, <laughs> but is it running back by committee usually? Um, I would say yes. Dylan Campbell was yeah, probably the big exception. It's yeah. We always get that one stud running back who changes the conversation on it. Like even, you know, Vanya year in 2011, it was Joey Nemet is our starting tail who's now working with Bobsled Canada um, and actually just had an Achilles injury not too long ago talking about running back injuries. Yeah. But, um, so he... He was kind of the, the fifth-year guy, the leader. Pez was the first year that was trying to get his feet wet, was very, very confident the second he came in. And we went from being a team where, you know, you go into training camp like this time of the year and you go, yeah, J Joey's going to be our stud and uh, we're going to have Pez as an M who's going to be running routes. By like week four, you're like, Joey's hurt, Pez is our starting running back, and we're a downhill in-between-the-tackles power run team. <laughs> so, I mean, as much as you want to be able to look at it and preview this team and yeah, say this is how yeah. they're going to build themselves, it can change dramatically, of course, based on injuries, but also just on style of play. So uh, when I look at the way that they're going to use their running backs, like there's some young guys, I'll be honest with you, that are out of practice. I don't know who they are. Yeah, and we don't, like the <laughs> roster's not on the website. Yeah. We probably could get our hands on it, yeah. but it's just... You can't, I don't know, that. they're just names on a, on a sheet of paper uh, at a certain point where it's like, yeah. I don't really know what this looks like. So, yeah, I think the running back, uh, they have 
a lot of different guys, right? There's That's, lots of different good. body styles, lots of different, you know, ability to be able to mix it up. And, and the thing is, too, as much as the parody in the OUA is slowly, you know, crawling forward and getting better, when you play Waterloo, Coach Patats used to always say, you play Waterloo, you play York, you play U of T, some of the teams that have struggled historically. You look at your roster, and Coach P would always say at the start of the week, this is an opportunity in these practices for us to be able to get some guys dressed who typically would not be able to dress for yeah. this game. And he would just say, this is your chance in practice to prove that you have the ability to be able to play. And it's you always get in those games usually three guys that haven't really played before where they'll sit down a vaunted starter and uh, somebody that's well-respected throughout the league to give them rest for a week. And the running back position, I would expect this year when they play some of those teams, those guys that, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, you're young and you're a number and you have your helmet on all the time, so I have no clue who you are, you will see two or three of them play in those games. And probably, and this is the joy of not knowing who people are when you start a season, they'll probably surprise you and they'll probably yeah. be really good. Yeah. Like That's the fun part of finding out because Kingsley Manquil was that guy. Yeah. He was just a random dude who didn't talk a whole lot, was the back end of the roster, and he would dress, and all of a sudden he played really well. Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was... A Waterloo game, and he ripped off a big run or something like that. I remember that. And it was one of those. You're a young guy, but like, holy yeah. man, you're just like every touch was something. But yeah, um, yeah I want to jump from the offense. It looks like it's going to be. They'll put uh, up points. Yeah, yeah, they, they will. They're, I don't know how they won't put up points. So you, yeah, as long as Asher's healthy, the offensive line is the only concern because you know we've spent a little while here talking about how great Asher is and yeah. how amazing the receivers are. And yeah. man, the running backs are so diverse and it's, yeah. I don't know what to tell you about the offensive line. And in football, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out that, rocket if, surgeon. Yeah, <laughs> that if, if you're, <laughs> I know it's nice. I, I work in broadcasting. McMaster folks, education. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out that you can have you know, Odell Beckham Jr. at wide out. You can have Ezekiel Elliott running back. You can have, you know, a superstar Aaron yeah. Rodgers at quarterback. If you don't have anybody to block for them, who cares? Yeah. That's in junior football. When you're Please coaching... note the Hamilton Tiger Cats this guy from Rough Riders <laughs> game. That just happened this Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you're starting about four guys uh, for the either the first time or they're like four games into their CFL career, it's not going to go well for you. Yeah. And it's kind of the same when you talk about CIS football. Like you can... You need some veteran presence there. And they've got a little bit of it, but it's, yeah. it's not where it has been before. To be fair, though, I remember 2010 where... We left that season. Justin Glover was gone. Jay Medeiros was thinking about leaving because he was getting drafted by the Tiger Cats. Uh, Mike Hoy was gone. Mike, Lo like we had a bunch of guys who, I mean, I'm dropping random names, but they were true leaders on that offensive line. They all left because they graduated, and everybody went, "Oh, down year for Mac." Well, we won the Vanier. Yeah. Right. So these things happen. They develop and they get better. Yeah. So the offensive line, a little bit of a concern, but we'll see how that goes. Um, what are some storylines to watch for this team, like a? player or just an aspect of the team that might jump out um, throughout the season? I think watching the development uh, of the defensive secondary that we mentioned a little bit earlier is because, again, you want to talk about how to attack a secondary, that Tiger Cats, Saskatchewan game. If people didn't see it, Zach Kalaros comes back and is a veteran quarterback, and he just shreds a bunch of inexperienced guys in the secondary. And that can be a real danger to your team if you start having, you know, you just your secondary being unreliable. Because I would argue, as much as the offensive line is a positional group that needs to be of strength, probably the worst group to have poor performance in would be your defensive secondary, because that means that, you know, no game is ever over. Yeah, and I just think of 
like the hellacious amounts of pressure. Yeah. Now I'm no by no means an X and O's football expert, Lee but Island. yeah, the ability to say Joey Capito, Stephen Ventresca, just take care of your guys. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And uh, we're also going to send so many guys to the quarterback because we don't have to worry about anything. We just have two, yeah. like a couple guys, just one-on-one matchups, shutting it down. And then you can just bring the house. And I think that's why I see them to be important. And um, if we're heaping lots of pressure on them, uh, that's okay. Like you came to McMaster and you came to a big program. It's natural. And you're trying to feel, like step in where – a guy who had basically an interception in every single playoff game he played. Yep, Joey. Like, that's just how it felt, right? It was just, oh, okay, check that box. It's a playoff game. Joey got a. And he's the color broadcaster now. Oh, he for, is. For the, yeah. yeah, he's full-time yeah. this year. He, there you he go. helped on with us at TSN, so he's going to be the, the color man. So he'll have a lot to say about the secondary, I'm sure. But when you, you know, two schools of thought on leaving guys out on an island like that, whenever we say, you know, well, they're going to blitz a lot of people, and you go, oh, you're going to leave guys alone, it's not the NFL where you're blitzing and playing press, like you're a half a yard off the ball and you're yeah. right in the guy's grill. What Knox typically does in that auto defense I talked about earlier where it's just you send plus one, whatever they have, is he sits his defensive backs at 10 yards, 8 yards, if they're getting really gutsy, maybe 7 yards, 6 yards, and all they do is know that the quarterback has to get the ball out of his hand in less than two seconds, otherwise he's going to get smashed because they're bringing one more person than, than they can block. And so the defensive backs sit at 10 yards and try to let everything be complete in front of you. And then the fun of that becomes, you know, at what point do they decide to run a little stutter and go up the sideline? Because now, as soon as the quarterback takes his hand off the ball, defensive back starts driving downhill because he's sitting at 10 yards and going, come on, you have to get the ball, you have to get the ball. And if a receiver goes stutter, stutter, yep, see it down the sideline. The quarterback gets it out early, throws it up over the top, and that's how you can break that defense down. So the defensive backfield will have to handle themselves. That's one of the big stories. The most interesting one to me, though, this whole year is just Knox's sideline development. He's never been a head coach. Yeah. So, and it's not, you know, one of those where you go, how did this guy get that job? He's never been a head coach, but it is a spot where you look at it and say, how is he going to operate in games? How hands-on is he going to be with the defense? Uh, the, you know, the, the idea of being a head coach in modern football to me is you are hands-off, you let your coordinators coordinate, and you let your players play, and you just back off, and you're basically like a baseball manager just yeah. making decisions on rotation. Uh, that was always the fun thing about Patasic was that he had the ability to be completely hands-off but know absolutely everything that was happening on and off the field. But in the moment of need, he was making the crucial decision. And Knox, when he talked to me, he said like the same thing because I think the natural question is like, okay, the guy who was a great defensive coordinator is coming back. Are you, You're taking care of the defense, right? Like it's just that assumption. And he said, no, like the people that we have employed to do the jobs are going to do their jobs yeah. and I'm going to collaborate with them. Like he was very clear with, I'm going to collaborate, like I'm going to have input, but I'm working with people. I'm not telling them what to do. So it's going to be like really interesting that development, yeah. like you say, just to see, does it like, how does the defense look? Does it look the similar, different? Is it a mix of the two? Like how that all comes together is what you're going to watch. And I would say that there's going to be some blowouts because it's the OUA, and that's what you watch for. What does the team look like? How do they play? Not are they playing and winning? Like there's little things you need to watch because this league is not balanced. We know that, and you need to watch for things so you can predict what's coming up next, how they're going to play against some of the best teams. And let's dive into that. The OUA, uh, you played in it. 
I've covered it for five years now. You're old. Yeah, I know, eh? <laughs> Holy. Uh, but it is not a balanced league. It's gotten a little bit better. Yeah. Um, Carlton is the reason it's better. Yeah, I, I was going to... Carlton is the reason it's better because they're more competitive. Ottawa... I felt like Ottawa came back over the past... Like, they've grown. They're hit and miss, but yeah, I enjoy... The one... They had that one brutal year with... Uh, Colbin. Who, whoever the coach... Yeah. Was it Etcheberry? <laughs> yeah, who... Gary Etcheberry. Yeah. yeah, the coach... I think they... Uh, they said goodbye to him during the middle of the season or something like I think that. The players tried to say goodbye to him in the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so they've played better. They've had some uh, good games. They took you guys uh, to the kind of to the buzzer at yeah in twenty uh, fourteen. I think so. But anyways, the OUA is kind of hard to predict, but it's not because we just the teams that aren't haven't been historically competitive. I can say it. You can't. The teams that have been just really just a check mark like okay we're playing waterloo we can we're gonna beat them yeah. like it's just it doesn't really matter those teams are kind of still consistently those teams we just don't know what they're good at or what they're going to be different with and if they have a lot of guys or whatever um so i think it's hard to predict because with all due respect Canada football chat is a website that does good work but there's no like oh here's the uh, here's the guy coming in this year like here's the rivals.com number 1 receiver like we don't have that yeah. or we do but it's just not paid attention to and it's Even I would have, be yeah. skeptical on how those actually match up with guys career paths and stuff like that even if you have that though too like i know from doing my prep for cfl games you know you look up a guy that's dj hunter out of uh, marshall university sam linebacker for the ticats first dress this year oh look he was the number four rated cornerback in the country coming out of high school and it's like even that stuff's hit and miss yeah right so and again i know that that's a long time away from high school to the pros but um yeah the lack of of understanding of exactly where teams stand and who they've brought in and what they mean. Like we all get those press releases that are Marauders introduce new crop, right? But and it's so many guys. Yeah. It's 25 guys. Yeah. And you end up keeping 22 of them ish, uh, because typically you just have a couple that aren't really feeling it by the end of training camp. But you're right to say that, you know, they, we don't get the same backstory and storytelling and knowledge of who they are. And that's why yeah. I think, it's been really, really good to have guys like Robbie Yoakum and, you know, Alan Dix was a guy that was from out West, similar to Yoakum, who's from Kelowna, BC. Um, Adam Poole was a star in the OVFL for the Brampton Bulldogs and made his way here. And when he committed, you know, Mike Daly was his biggest fan and he was going to end up being Mike Daly three, four, five years down the road kind of thing. So the storytelling of guys like that makes a difference because you actually get to learn about them. And, and yeah. honestly, I think that's something that the SIL and uh, of course the uh, uh, athletics department at Mac has done a good job of because there's not, unless you're really searching, like if you're really good at the Google, yeah. then you can go find a story about a guy from U of T who has an interesting backstory. Like Levi. You mean the quarterback who supports Donald yeah. Trump? <laughs> <laughs> That's that, real, by that, the way. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he was tweeting out some love for the Trumpster earlier. On yeah, if you want, uh, like Daniel <laughs> Dale from the Toronto that. Star yeah. tweeted a photo, I think from, I want to say a rally or whatever, and it was like Canadians for Trump or some kind of variety like that. And it was like U of T quarterback, whatever. And you're just like, okay. To be sure, fair, I was pro Obama when I played. <laughs> so to each their own, I guess. <laughs> well, yes, true. Obama and Trump, comparable Similar, for sure. sure. <laughs> um, but so I think we know that Western will be good again. Yeah. Um, Queens has 
uh, question mark. What about them? Will they be competing for the Yates? I think Queens is on the way up. I think they're in a good spot right now in terms of their development. Again, they do these weird four or five year cycles that seem so counterintuitive to me. It's like, we want to be really good in 2018. Yeah. So we're going to try to build right now. Their build last, for that, build for that. Yeah. It's kind of like their the, last doors, build, the doors never going to open. Yeah, their last build was terrible though. Like Doug Corby was their star and he was great, but outside of that, like Billy McPhee was supposed to be the guy for the full five years. He was banged up and kind of ineffective at times, just made some strange decisions with the ball when he did play. So yeah. there's, I think, a trend. And he was like a good QB, but... He had the biggest arm I think of ever. He had yeah. a bigger arm than Asher. And but he was he was one of those QBs where people are like, oh, they got Billy McPhee, like a good quarterback with an ultra-Canadian name. But yeah. uh, it just never came together because that build wasn't good enough. But now, what for this year, like, do they have pieces? I'm not totally sure who they have a quarterback. Yeah. I think but, Nate Hobbs uh, from Mississauga is yeah. their quarterback this year. So, like, are they going to compete? Um I'm going to say they are an OUA semifinal team. Uh, they are a, definitely a quarterfinal winner, I think. Uh, I, I don't think you can underrate, and again, showing my Kingston here after we've been listening to the Tragical Hip across this country all weekend, but the new Richardson Stadium is amazing. Yeah. Like it's, I saw it in person. I was back home a couple of a couple of months ago, and I just drove down and got out of the car and stared in amazement. Like, I ran track meets when I was in grade seven at that place. And if people don't know, that place, with all due respect... Decrepit. ...was, like, <laughs> a dump. And it, one of the stands was condemned. Like, yeah. if you want to know the difference between CS and NCAA football, like, that a premier university would have condemned stands... Uh, says a lot yeah. like it's it's amazing i think it's going to give them a bump in terms of their, I, I agree yeah. that's what that's kind of why yeah. i started with them because that is such a new like nice yeah. new stadium it's thanks to lang so underrated the effect that can have like if you look at guelph when they revamped alumni stadium what happened they got better look right? here you look, look here. at Ronjoy stadium yeah, like you, you build this and we turn into a national power it's there's a reason that you know, people complain and, and go back and forth about the importance of being able to build venues. Stadiums win championships. Yeah, build venues and stuff <laughs> like that. But that's, uh, you don't even have to recruit. You, yeah. just, you build a stadium and all of a sudden the Vanier Cup's in your office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, build a stadium and you get a Vanier for free. That's kind of the selling point, right? But um, their rival, everyone's rival, Western. Yeah. They, uh, Bastards. <laughs> we were driving here and someone had like a western sign up in their house yeah, in grad Westdale students, like, grad students stop <laughs> putting the school that you did your undergrad at or wearing t-shirts around or going to the pulse or nobody cares yeah. you're at Mac now yeah. continue sorry. Um, but <laughs> it's fair that's uh, was western university one of the worst rebrands I've seen lately it's weird because uh, people don't even know that it really happened like, is it west of I don't Toronto, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I um, suppose. Not in Canada, Western though. half. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, Trinity Western, I thought, was an offshoot of, of, of the University of Western yeah. Ontario for a yeah. long time when I saw them in CIS Volleyball. But it's not. It's a West. <laughs> yeah. Legitimately a yeah. West. But, um, so, Western, we last saw, we last heard from them throwing, I think, an interception or an incompletion just at the end against Guelph. What a game. And that was a great game. In... In TD Stadium or whatever they call it there. TD Waterhouse. Uh, TD Waterhouse. Yep. So they've kind of Western's probably looking for this. Got to, they got to think this is their year, right? Yeah, they've uh, <laughs> they should have won last year. I so. know. Like it, <laughs> uh, to be fair, uh, they lost the quarterback, right? Yeah. Like um, his name slips my mind right now. Will Finch yeah. was like the quarterback, the guy in the OUA, and. 
he concussions ended his career prematurely. Um, burgeoning music career now for Will, though. Okay. Yeah. All right. Acoustic guitar. <laughs> nice. Serious. Is he inspired by, was it Ricky Foley from the Argos? <laughs> <laughs> Doing his acoustic stuff. Oh, I saw that too. That was bad. Um, but, so, they have a new quarterback. Do you think they, with Chris Merchant was his name? University yeah. of Buffalo? Yeah, Buffalo transfer. Um, people <laughs> speak highly of him, but is it the year, like, can Western win? I don't even, I can't remember the last time they won. 2013. I know they won my first year in 2010, and then uh, McMaster won 11, 12, 13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was Western because they went out west and played against Calgary in the national semifinal and lost. And they got rolled. Yeah, yeah. Simonize was returning. Simonize got signed by the Bengals, by the way. The guy that had the big touchdown in that game down the sideline from the University of Calgary. Weird. For, as a receiver yeah. for the Bengals? Yeah. He's he's in training camp with them. Stay away from Andy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, I mean, that 2013 was the last time. And then, of course, you know, Mac won in 14 and then 15 last year. Um, yeah. So it's not that it long well. of a drope, but it just... It feels long feels though, when like you're Western, it. because when you're Greg Marshall, you expect to win everywhere you go and your resume precedes you. So if you are a Western Mustangs fan, every single year you go in, rightfully or wrongfully, thinking, yeah, we're going to win. And th- I think that was the pleasure that people took away from Mac being good. It was like, oh, look, somebody other than Western. Because even if you're not yeah. a Mac fan, if you're in the OUA, if Queens is real good, like in 09, you're like, oh, finally, somebody to challenge Michael Faltz, Danny Brannigan might actually get this thing done, right? Like a- an amazing, amazing, that's the best Yates Cup I've ever seen, by the way, when Fald's knee just completely evaporated and he kept trying to play on it. But um, have you ever seen that? I don't think I, I've seen no, it. No, I was at that game. I'll, sh- I'll show you the YouTube clip after. Nice. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But um, And I was there. Uh, when I think about Western and their chances this year, they had a bunch of guys get drafted like always. They got a bunch of guys sent back, though. Which is good. And I always wonder when you are a, uh, a CIS coach and you have your guys taken away from you by the draft with more, one more year of eligibility and they get sent back, it's like, oh, I'm super happy to have them because they've, you know, the typical storyline is, well, they learned and they, they went through a camp and they've progressed as, as a player and as a person and all of that. But it's also like half the time they send them back because it's like, well, we, you're just, you know, your personal development, we want you to go back and get better. Like even the Ticats did that with uh, Felix Faubert-Lucier, fullback from Laval. They sent him back like last week to go back for training camp after he'd spent the whole summer on their practice roster. But the other half of the time, it's not, well, we want you to have personal development. It's like, oh, God, you're not good enough to be here, so go back. And so for Western, with the number of guys that have been sent back, I think a lot of it is just, hey, rosters are full. We don't need any Canadians, so take a year, get better, go hit the gym a whole bunch. But you always wonder when they send that number of guys back to your program if at some point it's like, well, you don't really fit in the CFL, and that might negatively impact you going into a CIS year because now you see yourself – as a CFL player who happens to be in the CIS. Yeah, that's true. Like that downgrade, it would take a certain and amount of mental fortitude yeah. to just kind of be like, no, no, no. I, I'm, this is where I need, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to play. Like, this is the way it's been set up. Let's just embrace it. But, um, I think Western, I don't know all the ins and outs of their roster. It just feels like their, as you said, the rep- reputation, uh, I think they've got to be considered one of the favorites because nobody else is really jumping off the page. Yeah, they're always going to have a good run game. And the thing that has always been about Western is their lines, right? They're just massive bodies. Like Greg Marshall just gets behemoth to be a part of his offensive yeah. and defensive line. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Butcher, I believe, got sent back from the Canadian Football League. And he was a guy who, 
I was there in 2013 at the East West Bowl in Montreal covering it for the CIS and he did not say a word but made every single play on the field and like the Ottawa Red Blacks loved him going into the draft process Miles Gorell who used to do the color for the McMaster games yep. he talked to me he wouldn't shut up about him he he was obsessed with him and he didn't even get to draft the kid but he just he thought he was so good so He's got crazy long arms, and, and their defensive line will get after quarterbacks. And honestly, like depending on the injury situation in Week Eight, Week Nine, excuse me, when the tie, uh, so when the Tie Cats play Western, uh, when McMaster plays against Western, that defensive line for Western could be a real big issue because we've already gone over the O line for Mac. Um, but I think we're, we can move from Western to uh, another team that I know no one is really fond of. Uh, the Guelph Griffins. I say that because if you talk to uh, if you talk to a lot of athletes who've played in the McMaster football program, Guelph is not met with a lot of kind words. The hate shifted from Western to Guelph in like so strong. Like my second year, all of a sudden, and it was like, oh, we're allowed to hate more than one school. Yeah, and it sticks out for me. And like every, don't get me wrong, every team has moments like this. But I, I think the moment I was like, I think we've changed everything now is there was i think it was the first week of 2012 2020 i want to i forget what year maybe 2014 the home opener where it was like third and short yeah extremely short so you guys were just doing a quick like qb dive play and one of the guelph players came and then yanked i don't know if it was you yeah actually they just pulled that was me in 2014 and he just like yanked on the leg and immediately there's laundry the refs were like what are you doing but that was met by a lot of like pushing and, and shouting in the middle of the field kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, everything just changed. Like, or at least it felt like it in that moment. Maybe it ha- it probably happened before, but it was like, that was such a yeah. weird thing to do. To me, it, it goes back to, you know, the history of the OUA. It's so deep with these type of stories, but before I ever got to university, I'd heard stories about playing up on the grass at Guelph and just how hard it was and just how, you know, inhospitable the surroundings were and everything else. Yeah. And the fans who were waiting on the hill for you and yeah, screaming the behind the fences. Yeah. Um, in 2010, of course, uh, the broken leg of Tyler Crepina at the end of the game, that was yeah. against Guelph. Uh, and so that obviously turned things up another notch. In 2011, I started the game at their homecoming when we beat them there, and that was the craziest, angriest, drunkest student crowd I think I've ever played. That was 2013? 2011 was was their homecoming. So when Kyle was suspended, Kyle Quinlan, I played at their homecoming, and and that was wild, and that kind of led me to be (laughs) like them even less. And a lot of guys, it just developed and developed. They talked a lot. Uh, They grew as a team. Like, you can't deny that Guelph has improved as a football player. I would say Guelph... Wolf kind of took the spot of like Queens in that yep. top three. Like yep. you put Mac in some combination, Mac, Guelph, Western. And they beat Queens in a playoff game a couple of years ago, which literally cemented the idea that like we are now yeah. above you in terms of the power rankings of, of yeah, I Yeah, for sure. So Guelph, but there's been some changes within the program. Like they lost yeah. some guys on defense. Um, their QB situation. James uh, Roberts, baby. James Roberts, who was inconsistent, I think, last year, just... He had his moments, um, but I mean, obviously, he won. He got better as the season went on and won, um, won the Yates. And I just think, like with Stu Lang leaving, I'm not sure how uh, he was as a coach. Like, yeah. I'm not sure his role there um, specifically. I know that part of the reason that people might not like Guelph is the questions about like just the money infusion there and like the anonymous donations and uh, just. Like, you can find it on message boards, just like the conspiracy <laughs> theories about them. 
uh, I would caution against like actually reading those messages. Dying on those, <laughs> dying, yeah, that and dying on that hill, just because yeah. lots of programs have lots of question marks similar to this. But yeah. um, what do you expect from Guelph this year? Should we think that the Yates Cup with a changed defense uh, and like a different coaching staff? Do we think that it's kind of like they're the favorites because they're Yates Cup defending champions? No, or? I, I don't think so. I would put right now Western as the favorite uh, just based on the big bodies they've had come back and the recruiting and the fact that, you know, you don't poke the bear and when you lose a Yates Cup at home for Greg Marshall, like that's humiliating. That's the best way to put it because he's expected to have great amounts of success. So um, I think Guelph will be Guelph this year. They'll make a lot of people grumpy and they will beat some teams by sizable amounts. And when it comes to you know, big games like when McMaster plays them here at home. That's, I mean, that is the game of the year when you think about it, having homecoming at Mac against a Guelph team that's going to be, I say they're not top of the league. I do think in terms of preseason rankings, if you can equate it in any way with the limited amount of understanding about what these rosters are, they're probably ahead of Mac. I think Queens is right there in that top four with them. And, and you start to think about Guelph as a whole, what they have become, it's spread in terms of offense. It's uh, consistent blitzing pressure from their outside linebackers. They like to play safe with their middle linebackers. That goes all the way back to uh, having a, a guys that have been throughout that system for a long time where they just like to play low and safe. They do a great job being very multiple in their defense. They play a lot of safe kind of cover four stuff where they're rolling defensive backs out 25 yards deep. And then the next play, they'll just line up seven and blitz right at you. So they give you a little bit of everything. They're just a good, solid, well-rounded team. They've always just done it with a mouth, right? Like if, if you were Guelph, Take away the logo and the name and the perception and the colors and all of that uh, that we all attach with them. If you took away who they are, what we think we know about them, and you just called them, you know, the Scott Hasty Rebels, well, which is a badass name, by the way. Yeah. You should probably name your fantasy team that. Yeah. Uh, but the Scott Hasty Rebels, and they just didn't talk. People would love the Scott Hasty Rebels. Yeah. Because they've developed. They've got everybody wants to cheer for the evolution. We've watched the Olympics, the growth yeah. of a team throughout yeah, time. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Like, like they've I, done it with their mouth, so everybody's see, like, I, I don't want to like the Guelph Griffins. I think that Laurier is actually that right now because like they beat Mac last year. It's kind of like, oh wow, like look what Folds has done with the program. They got some guys drafted. Dylan Campbell was amazing. Um, but yeah, Guelph just such an interesting like lightning rod. Good for the league, no doubt. Yep. Great that they won. For, if you want to like talk about storylines, narratives, all that, um, but and forcing people to progress and, yes. and changing it better. Like if you don't want to get beat by Guelph, if you are Queens and you have money laying around, and I think because here's the thing, I used to throw the ball around with Glenn McKay, who was a Ticats receiver. He played up until I want to say 2007 for the Windsor Lancers. Um, he told me when he was being recruited by Queens back in like 03 or somewhere around there that Pat Sheehan pulled out a picture of a new stadium that they were building the next year. In 07. In 2003 when he was being recruited. Ooh. Like 2002, 2003. Yeah. And so the joke throughout the OUA for a long time was, Sheehan still showing you guys that drawing? Is he just floating that dream out in front of every recruit and saying, hey, look what's coming down the pipe? Yeah. That place, that new Richardson Stadium wasn't completed until Guelph started pissing everybody off. It's true. Right? And it, as soon as they got their new stadium and Mac cleaned up and U of T cleaned up, Varsity Stadium, all of that, and everybody started getting, getting these venues, Queens, yeah, Queens, too, Queens yeah. I think, looked around and went, guys, we should have the best stadium in the entire OUA, if not the CIS. Yeah. You, so, pro you probably have the most prideful alumni in the, in the um, conference, like all due respect to uh, Western fans, but Queens fans, like, 
you see the tricolor everywhere. So many um, leather jackets in Kingston. So many leather <laughs> jackets. And they kick it around or whatever. Yeah, they um, stomp it on the field and yeah. die. I still, I, listen, I grew up in Kingston. I've partied in res at Queens. Yeah. I have no idea what that purple jacket, I know it's the engineers. I know they dye them and that's like a rite of passage. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> man, the, a lot of people don't, yeah. I would say that. Um, we're coming up in an hour here, so we're going to transition out with, last thing is, who, we have, uh, two questions, who is like the uh, dark horse, dark horse candidate to win the Yates, and oh, who do you think will win the Yates, because those yeah. are two different things yeah. usually. Uh, dark horse is literally the team with the dark end zones now, the Carleton, uh, <laughs> Carleton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Carleton Ravens. Uh, I think that they are, they're everybody's dark horse pick. I don't know if they deserve to be a dark horse anymore based on the way that they've grown up so quickly in front of us. Um, but they are to me, I mean, if you looked at the, the Yates cup and you know, you went from Western, 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 Queens, Western, Queens, Western, Ottawa, Queens, Western, Mac, 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 Queens, Western, Ottawa, Mac, Mac, Mac. and, And then all of a sudden Carlton. Yeah. Like that, that would just look really interesting on there different colors different and it would send kind of a message that okay the league has changed like, yeah that would that would shut up so many people yeah in that say oh the, it's just like a two two horse league whatever <laughs> it's so stupid if we went like mac western guelph carlton like that then yeah then it, like it, it's a different league and that's for a league that has struggled and lost tv and all that stuff like gr- that would be a great Great feather in their cap yeah. if they want to go into boardrooms and say, like, we have a real product here. And people, you know, miss the point. They go, ah, it doesn't matter. Carlton just wins it. Well, in order to win the Yates Cup, they would have to beat Guelph. Yeah. They, would, they would have to, like, go on the road and beat Western out. Like, those would be big things to happen. So it's not the end game, just tapping, you know, the metal plate onto the Yates Cup and saying, well, they did it. It's the fact that in order to do it, they would change the conversation in the OUA by going out and beating teams that they previously hadn't before. It'd yeah. be, it would be like looking at the Yates Cup you know, in 1940 to 1944, where there's a plaque that says war years. Yeah. It'd be like, whoa, okay, that's, yeah, that's it would shock you as soon yeah. as you would see it. So um, I think that they're my dark horse pick. Uh, the favorite to win it, I, I said earlier, I think is Western. The team I think will win it, honestly, I, I don't know enough about Carlton's sustainability on offense. So that's kind of why they're the dark horse. I would love to pick Carlton right now, but Those I just... sexy hu- helmets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't know what they are on offense at this point because the the natural evolution of their offense has been you know spread and, and getting the ball down the field but it's as you change out players based on recruitment and, and graduation you just don't know so the consistent the safe the boring the unsexy pick is western and i i'd pick western like i, I don't know how if you are greg marshall you are not driven more than you've ever been with that said though the you know the antichrist to uh, Greg Marshall throughout his entire career as a coach has been Greg Knox. Yeah, it's who, true. Who's your head coach now? So if if there is one great strength, say that you know Guelph gets a little bit banged up, Carlton doesn't really progress the way that we think they will, and Queens needs another year to develop, and they're you know a four and four team kind of thing. If it comes down to Western against Mac, Western will be a heavy favorite, number one in the country, most points scored, all these sacks, interceptions, turnovers, but. The only team I think that can really beat Western might be in Maroon. And and I think that's the way that I see this season shaking down is if Asher Hastings can get to a Yates Cup against Greg Marshall and the Western Mustangs, Western will be heavy favorites. The game will be at TD Waterhouse Stadium. 
and Greg Knox will dial up one of his classic Western destroying game plans that I was fortunate yeah. to experience time and time again. So uh, my pick to win it is Western. Uh, my dark horse is Carlton. I think the only team that can give Western a run, honestly, is Mac. Well, that's exciting stuff. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Wild, wacky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it'll be a good year. Uh, really, just it kind of always is. The homecoming game is always a great time. Um, Everyone go to games, by the way. As yeah, a player, I, I know we've talked about this for a thousand different ways, different angles, all that. Just as a player, simply put, we like when you guys are there. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, and I just think, like, the games are fun. The, C- the CIS and OUA would be well-served to make them shorter. The games are fun, though. Yeah. Like, go in September. I guess that August 28th game is a little tough, but if you're in the area, um, just get out your, to it. Do your schoolwork during the week. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> get organized. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I want to say thanks for doing this. Thank uh, you. I think it's kind of unprecedented to do a deep-dive podcast like this on OUA football, so I'm glad to kind of um, knock down that and... and be the first to do it but it's special to be able to do it with someone who actually knows the game who actually played there because i know how sports fans love to say but did you play the game i did not (laughs) not even close so it's nice to have someone who uh did and knows their stuff come in and just drop knowledge for an hour with us thanks buddy i uh i would love to be able to reciprocate that but first just a word from our sponsors (laughs) no i don't am i not on this podcast permanently now i thought this was we do have we have sponsorship opportunities (laughs) if you want to sponsor that'd be great that's literally every day on my show on tsn 1150 here in hamilton we just make up segments and we say brought to you by and then we just make up a product yeah because we're like "Eh, that could be you yeah exactly (laughs) one of those deals no it's it's fun it's uh I, i still love the oua it pains me to say that i won't be calling the games this year i i wanted very badly to do the double to be uh again i hate when people say the voice of anything but i wanted to be the voice of hamilton football where i could cover because the weather tech football day in hamilton down at tim hortons field like yes free tickets get your free tickets. yeah like i was talking to matt affinick who's the i believe coo uh for the tiger cats and he literally pulled me aside at the vanier cup launch last week at tim hortons field and said like can you pump this as much as you can because we're gonna have you know, the one side of the stands open completely. And we really want to put 10,000 people down here if possible. Like that's it's a beautiful venue. They're aiming for, just bring a sweater. Yeah, They're aiming for big numbers. And I don't know if they're hundred percent attainable, but th- my love for, yeah, football, I agree with you. My, my love for OUA football has not died, will not die. It's where, you know, I always said when I first got into covering football, if you, you, you see Andy fan twos and you love them, or you see, you know, somebody that's local Canadian, like a Declan cross that came out of Mac and you go, ah, I love that guy when he plays for the Argos. Well, guess what? He came from somewhere. Yeah. And that somewhere was probably the OUA. And before that, he probably played junior football in the OVFL, and he was probably a stud there too. Yeah. Like, it's fun to watch people develop and find out who they exactly are as a person and a player. And so the OUA gives a great opportunity for that, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. I just, just wish I would have won a Vanier in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got one ring sitting yeah. at home. That's okay. Two would have been nice. Okay, that's it. So... We're getting out of here, but first I just want to mention that this is the last podcast before the school year, which Ooh. means uh, I'm done school on Friday forever, so <laughs> I don't care, uh, but it's the last podcast, which means it kind of changes. We're going to be doing more stuff about more podcasts about what we write about, so we'll talk with some of our writers or the people they interview. Um, we will start printing weekly on September 8th, I believe is the date. That means... Every Thursday afternoon, there will be a new uh, silhouette on stands, 28 pages with some glossy, beautiful covers. Um, You can pick us up. You can read us online. 
uh, thesill.ca. Uh, follow us on uh, Instagram, McMaster Silhouette, or Facebook, just The Silhouette, and uh, same at The Silhouette on uh, Twitter. So thanks for listening. Um, we're excited for the football season. Thanks to Marsh for doing this, and uh, enjoy Welcome Week. Does your mother tell you things? Long, long, Who you talking to? She telling you.